Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with Mike Renner doing a bonus mailbag episode. We are grinding the tape. We are going to answer your questions. If you want your question answered in a listener mailbag episode, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and drop your question there. Five-star review, please. We need it. Help support the podcast. And like we said here, bonus mailbag, we're going to get through them. We're going to get through all of them before the draft. Really excited about this one. Let's get it. Bonus mailbag baby presented to you by whatever brand of smelling salts this is. I should know this. Ampules? Immortal? I don't know. Yours so yours came in like a actual you know sport looking cap like oh, bottle. Yeah. I don't Mine around. came in like a medical box. Really? Yeah. I got I got like the multi pack. There was like five hundred of them. So if anyone listening I need it to for, even like wake up in the morning nowadays. If anyone listening works for a smelling salt company. We are more than happy to freely sponsor you. We will do it. I will do it. There's that's, one that's called yeah. like Rhino Salts. Fuck, I'm ready. I'm ready for Rhino Salts. Either way, rip the salt, ready to do the bonus mailbag. Let's start. I Yushes, E-Y-U-S-H-S, is asking, does it feel like Rondo Moore is being undervalued? I'll answer now. Yes. Obviously, his height is less than ideal, but the elite athleticism and super elite breakout age seem to be easy things to bet on, especially over guys like Elijah Moore, Tony, and even Bateman. Also, piggybacking off of that, how important do you perceive breakout age to be? Age in general seems to be an underrated trait still. Yeah, uh, the Rondo Moore, I do think he's being undervalued. I do think there are legitimate concerns, though. Absolutely. Whether it's his production profile, yeah, he had ridiculous breakout age. He caught 48 screens in 2018. That's the most screens I think we've seen in a se- single season in college. As a true freshman. As a true freshman. So they obviously, like his role was such that they just wanted to get him the ball because he's that dynamic. And he didn't actually run. That, that's not going to be a role in the NFL. No team is going to throw you 48 screens. That's not a good way to run your offense. So he's going to have to win in other different ways that it just wasn't utilized in, in that Purdue offense. So sadly, like – when there's a projection and when you haven't seen a guy do something, you just have to be a little bit more conservative about a guy like that. So there are legit concerns. And, and I do think the breakout age stuff is case by case. Uh, you have to go into why he didn't break out at a younger age with a guy like Jalen Darden playing, you know, I think it was middle of nowhere, Texas high school football coming up to North Texas at 150 some pounds. That guy's not going to be great until he puts on 25 more pounds over the course of his college career. Like that, I think, is a legitimate, oh, he turned into a freak athlete when he showed up as just a guy. They also had a massive, when I talked to him, he said they had a massive change in offense after his first year yeah. where he had to learn a lot of new things. Kadarius Tony shows up as a quarterback, switches to wide receiver his very first year at Florida, never played wide receiver before that. Like that's why that guy who's never played wide receiver before, that's probably not going to come in as a true freshman and be legit at wide receiver. So the, the, There's I mean, also the injury concerns with Rondell Moore. Two yeah. grade one hamstring injuries over the past yeah. few years, and that has been limiting him, keeping him from the football field. And I also think what you bring up with breakout age, the overall thematic, you know, I think the high-level theme here is that no stat 
breakout age, I would say even PLF grade, is it any, all, it yeah. is, is all encompassing. There's so much context to it. There's so much context. Why did Mac Jones grade so well at Alabama? A lot of open throws, these different things. Why did Rondell Moore have such a high breakout age? They threw him 48 fucking screens. All these different things. So a good, another good example, Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards was another, like I think, breakout age guy. But he yeah. got a ton of screen work, a ton of passes mm-hmm. near the line of scrimmage where he was a priority in the offense. And obviously there's this argument of like, well, he's a priority in the offense. He must be good. And that's true. He is good. He also was the best player on that team. Rondell Moore was the best player on that football team and probably will be for the next few years. Like he is the yeah. best player Ron- Purdue has had in a very long time. So. Yeah. But when it's a guy like, just in this year's class, Marlon Williams from UCF, monster year this past year, over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. Played for three years before that, didn't look like anything close to that guy. But this year is physically more dominant than the guys he's going up against. He's six foot, 220 like finally the man amongst boys, that's when he breaks out. That's the one that's concerned. Those are the ones where it's like, yeah, maybe don't buy into how great that tape looks because it only worked out when he had that inbuilt physical advantage that comes with being the oldest guy in the football field. That's not going to be the case the next level. All right. This one's from NJW0596. What do you guys think of late round receivers like Tamorian Terry or Emir Smith-Marset? Could you see them having Darnell Mooney-esque success as rookies? If not, then who? (sighs) We've talked about Amir Smith-Marset. Not a huge fan. He's very fast, but he's also very skinny. I think he's like in the 170s. Um, and just not a great route runner for me. He really is like the one-trick pony of that's a speed guy. Not much else to the table. Terry's interesting because I, I really liked his that redshirt sophomore tape in 2019. Obviously was far more productive and has legit speed. He was clocked at like 24 miles per hour on the GPS, which... I think the college GPS systems are very different than they give oddly different results, but he is fast when he gets his top speed is fast. He is a galloper, long limbed dude, but he's got bodied at the catch point. He's what you worry about with those skinny, tall receivers is that once hands get on him, they're toast. And he really was big catch radius when he's open, but when he's not, he wasn't fighting through contact to make a lot of plays. So kind of, Marquez Valdez Scantling esque to Morian Terry. There's I kind of like that comp. I kind of yeah. like that comp. All right, this is from True Scoundrel. What would an ideal scenario for the Tennessee Titans in free agency be, and or t- Tennessee Titans in free agency and the draft? Ideal scenario for the Titans. Go. Yeah, I think we touched on the free agent one a little bit. Draft. Quitty pay. I would love that in the first round. Again, you you need edge. You need someone across from Harold Landry been an issue for a few years even Jadavion Clowney didn't quite fix that like quitty pay with how deep this edge class is that's the type of guy you want across from him and that a power player across from Landry the top of the pocket vendor like we talked about in the last pod and then round two I would love a guy who could be a deep threat across from AJ Brown take advantage of the deep class wide receiver like Diami Brown is the dream scenario there, North Carolina. He's the one who could be on the board. The you know that outside X deep threat. He's one of the few that can get it done there. That was who I would like. That's your ideal scenario there. Alrighty, we are now through February tenth. The February tenth um, questions on Apple Podcasts. We are through February tenth. I know it's March fourth. I get that. We are grinding though. We will get there. All right, this is from King Dubs, a.k.a. Mr. White. My question is, what are the top teams using in analytics in both college football and the pros? Couldn't tell you college. No clue about college. I don't interact with any of the colleges, sorry. Pros, though, Ravens, the Browns, the Bills. Those are probably the clear-cut top three. Eagles, to a degree, you throw in the mix. 
but those ones fairly obviously use it. I will say UCLA is big analytics. Oh, yeah. We work closely with UCLA. Our boy, Chip. Our, our boy, Chip. Our boy, Chip. All right. This is from Finger Pats fan. Hmm. Fringe. Pats Fringe. Fan. Sorry. <laughs> Fringe Pats you, fan. What's going on in your I don't know. I don't know. The smelling about... salts. I got a headache a little bit. Uh, do you think the Patriots have interest in running an offense similar to last year's with a guy like Justin Fields or prefer to revert back to older concepts with a Mac Jones or Kyle Trask? I think one of the beauties of Belichick he's very flexible with his talent where it puts them in a position to succeed so if he did have a Justin Fields or did have a Cam Newton last year he's not just going to say run my offense there's concepts they like that they'll continue to run but he's not going to try to fit a square peg in a round hole and I think he also knows having been you know very close friends with Nick Saban and seeing where the college game is going and how who is broken Nick Saban's defenses over the years, oftentimes the mobile quarterbacks, quarterbacks that give you that advantage that defenses can't really account for still. So I think you would love to have a mobile quarterback. I think you would love to continue running what he did last year. But again, still recognize his talent, still going to put him in the best position to succeed. Would if, if he falls in love with Mac Jones or if that's the guy they had their eye on, he, they'd be perfectly happy with that as well. Chris Collinsworth actually compared Justin Fields to Cam Newton on the oh. Chris Collinsworth yeah, podcast featuring Richard Sherman. It's the comp in the draft guide. Oh, so he's just cheating. That that's was that. That's a that's a common one. So he's taking it from you, yeah, the big I, boss. He's trying to hustle draft guides. There's nothing wrong with that. You love to see that. Honestly, Brady Quinn was telling me that Justin. Dude, Fields. they had Allen Robinson Cam on the podcast. He was talking about how he's he's been watching BYU tape for Zach Wilson. He watched Trevor Lawrence's fucking pro day. This guy's out here grinding the tape. Looking for his next QB. He said he'd also love Everyone a reunion watches. in Jacksonville. Oh, hey. That actually... I, I've been, dude, I'm telling you, I've been saying that for a while. Like, Alan Robinson to Jacksonville. I think I had a quote graphic come out on social. It's like, I'd be legit disappointed if they didn't at least try and make a run. They got the cap space. They're going to have a good quarterback. Then you get the I'm coming home video montage. Oh, the billboards in Jacksonville. I'm yeah. getting excited. Harrison Duncan, if Wilson and Fields are picked number two and three, would it be wise for the Falcons to take Trey Lance, or is the better decision decision to trade down and build around Matt Ryan? I've come around. I've seen the light. Love the quarterback it. for the Falcons, Trey Lance. Just got to do it. You, you got to make that play. Not to say Matt Ryan is cooked. Not to say he's never going to be MVP level ever again, or never going to. He's only 35 years old. Gonna about to turn 36 here this offseason. He could still play at a high level. Your roster is not in a great position. You're not always going to be picking top five to get that guy of the future. And the payoff for Trey Lance can so far exceed any other position that you can get in the top five. There's so much more in terms of that guy looks good at all, even in part-time behind Matt Ryan or whenever he sees the field going to get two first-round picks in return. You're going to get a lot in return for that guy if you want to continue to stick with Matt Ryan because I think that's how good Trey Lance is as well. So This is the Kansas City Chiefs situation with Alex Smith a few years ago without the trade-up. Without the trade-up. You were in a position to take a very good quarterback prospect. What do you mean? What? What? It's There's some big differences. Uh, Matt Ryan's much better than Alex Smith. Yes, but, I agree with that. Okay. But, but either way, he is not your quarterback of the future. You are in a position to take a potential quarterback of the future. What I don't understand, and I, I love the idea of them taking quarterback and keeping Matt Ryan, not even playing the guy, whether it's Field or Lance or Wilson, whoever falls, Mond. 
you 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 take your quarterback and develop him behind Matt Ryan, and you look at 2022 as an opportunity to play him. Deve- there is a development problem in the NFL. Develop these guys, and I think you can't when you are in a position to do so, like the Falcons are. Do it. The other thing I'll say is, why are national analysts, national you know other draft analysts, more often mocking quarterback to the Falcons than they are the Jets? Like I like they're like, well, they're at four. Probably should take one. Matt Ryan at the latter part of his years makes sense. While well, the Jets are like Sam Darnold deep. Everyone the- loves though, given the quarterback of the future. That's people take their pants for. Well, then the pretend the, the Jets have the fucking Matt Ryan and Sam Darnold and say they. Like, <laughs> if oh, Sam they- Darnold was thirty-eight right now, they would. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I don't. I don't understand that logic. If you have Sam Darnold. You want to build around him. I get it. But like, dude, you're in a position to take a top quarterback. Take one. Regardless, Sam Darnold has not proven he is your guy. Take swings at the position. Take quarterbacks. All right. This is from Min. Min take good quarterbacks. Take saying. good quarterbacks. Min Su Young. As Patriots fan, the receiving core this season was subpar to be to be nice. <laughs> Are there any second to fourth round guys who could be an immediate impact type of player, like Claypool, Debo, or AJ Brown, that the Patriots could get? That would be awesome. If, the, <laughs> if one of those types fall in the second round, that'd be sick. Yeah. This is also assuming the Patriots get their guy at QB in round one. This guy's a pipe dreamer. This guy, Min Su Young is out here like, man, I... Patriots are fucking going to the Super Bowl. It's like, hey, but if I could tell you that guy who's going to be great in the second round every year, I'd be very Wouldn't be much. working here. Yeah, exactly. But the guys I like that higher on than, you know, that I think should go round one, that probably won't go round one. The one guy like that is in that mold. I think Rashad Bateman is the one guy who I'm like, that guy's at round one, sure, fire top. That's how I felt about A.J. Brown. Fell to pick 50. Felt about TK Metcalf. So I felt about TK Metcalf. It's hard to predict who's going to fall, though. But I, I think a lot of sort of looking through mock drafts, Rashad Bateman looks like he might be falling to the second round. So that's who I would say is like, that's the guy to put a pin in. Other names, if you want immediate impact, guys who are more polished products, polished route runners, could step in and play. Maybe not be A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, but like our solid players right off the rip. I would throw in Diami Brown, North Carolina, Amon Ross St. Brown, a lot of Browns here, uh, Cornell Powell, and Amari Rogers, the Clemson dudes. They're very good routers as well. All righty. Moving to just Wackle. LJ Sneed, Jerry Sneed has been solid this year and shown great potential both outside and in the slot for KC, given that KC has two starting outside corners who are either restricted or true free agents, that position group is likely to be shaken up. If you were Brett Veach thinking about who to add, would you move Sneed back outside and replace his production in the slot or leave him where he ended the season and find a new talent outside? He has the outside cornerback skill set. He is tall, long, fast. That is the outside cornerback system. And he's very good in the slot. Don't get me wrong. Because he is exceptional off the line of scrimmage. When they line up in the slot, they still impress. That's kind of his calling card. But you're not taking advantage of that 4-3 speed in the slot. He's not going to be running vertical too much from the slot. That's kind of his biggest. Basically, if you play in the slot, you're wasting that. You're wasting that 4-3 speed. That could be bring more value to the table on the outside, limiting big plays on the outside. That's where I think he ends up as the outside cornerback in that. And what a fucking draft pick for them. Yeah, absolutely. He is really, really panned out. All right, Dylan, roll tide. 
I look at global soccer and see opportunities for players of numerous skills, skill levels to play professionally with the amount of leagues that exist. The NFL has limited opportunities in comparison. To rectify this, should the NFL increase roster size or increase or create more chances for development like long-term changes to the size of practice squads or ability of practice squads to have several veterans on them like we saw this year due to COVID? Yeah, I think that's the expanded practice squads aren't going anywhere. I think they're only going to get bigger in, in coming years because of the limited ability to uh, – evaluate in the offseason, develop in the offseason, that sort of thing as well. I think post-COVID, once we could fill up stadiums, again, there will be room for developmental league. I think it will come back, whether it's the XFL, whatever it is. The XFL is coming back. Okay, so yeah, the XFL is coming back. I think that will be a thing. The biggest problem, though, with expanded practice squads and all that is they still don't get, in my opinion, or even like there's, it's been shown, that they still don't get, I think, properly evaluated in the building. You don't just like those guys aren't getting necessarily opportunities for advancement. We've seen again and again that like draft position, if a guy comes in and is not necessarily that highly touted, they get passed over by the guys who are the highly touted. Like they're not getting the opportunities to ascend in the building because there's only like you gotta you gotta practice with your starters. You gotta have those guys getting the most reps. The other guys aren't getting as many reps. Most notably saw this with Joey Porter twice where he's starting over James Harrison, UDFA, starting over Cam Wake when he went to the Miami Dolphins, UDFA obviously went to CFL. Both those guys, much better players at the time than Joey Porter, but that they like couldn't get playing time because Joey Porter's the incumbent, big name, whatever. Those guys, UDFAs, ended up being you know the better players. So that happens a lot. I just think in the building, it's difficult to do. I don't blame coach staff. It's difficult to evaluate when... She's not going to get the reps. I also think, and because he brought up soccer, and I think other sports too, there are developmental leagues that you can get players at a much younger age. Like so, yeah. there are soccer teams that like draft players into their developmental league at like thirteen. Yeah. You know, same with basketball. You think about Ricky Rubio; he was playing for like the European league at fourteen years old. Like you have those opportunities. And in football, you are not literally eligible to play in the NFL until you know you're. What after your second year of college? Three years out. Three years, of high school. Yeah, yeah, three years out of high school. Like you have to three years out of high school, then you're allowed to go to the NFL. So like yeah. there hasn't been this progressive need for a developmental league. But like you compare that to the NBA, and the G League is actually kind of popular because you can go to it one year out of college. It used to be able to. G League's popular. Not popular, but it's a thing. Okay. I guess it's a thing. I guess it's not popular. <laughs> Minor leagues are a thing because you can draft players out of high school. Yeah. The G League is a thing because you can. You used to be able to draft NBA players out of high school. Now it's just one year in college. Like. The NFL doesn't have that. You get three years mm-hmm. of college development, and then it's like a free D-league for the NFL. But there is also a thing, like guys, and we see it in the NFL, guys peak 27, like he's 27 years old, like 26, 27, 28, 29. Guys aren't getting that opportunity if you're UDFA. You got, you know, like in a training camp to prove yourself, and then, oh, you can't develop anymore, some that you're like SOL. You're never going to see a field again. And there's no other way for you to simulate real competition Outside of you know playing on an NFL practice squad, you can go to Exos all you want. You're not simulating. You're not honing skills. You're honing physical ability at a place like that. You're not honing like how actually yeah. you perform at the game of football. You got to play football against top competition. To do that. RC underscore with Orlando Brown Jr. requesting a trade and the recent news about Russell Wilson needing better protection. Do you think there's any chance Browns Brown ends up in Seattle? to replace Dwayne Brown, who just played an amazing season, but is certainly getting older. A lot of Browns. Could they play for right tackle the first year and the le- could play right tackle the first year and then left tackle in 2022? He said he wants to play left tackle. Dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that goes against goes against his request. And so I, I don't think it's possible because that 
And also Dwayne Brown, 35 years old, yes, but he really was still good last year. Like he created it out pretty well. He could force he could see himself having an Andrew Whitworth-esque final act to his career where he plays three or four more years, almost 40 years old. Whitworth's 39 right now. I think he's going to be playing at 40 years old next year. And if a career left tackle switches to right tackle when he's 36, that was like Donald Penn having to switch sides. It's not going to go probably well. You've trained, you know, your whole life for this one side or whatever. How many ever many years you've been playing that one side to then switch all of a sudden you're you're shit out of luck in your next contract when everyone's like you play like asset right tackle you're cooked so i don't think Dwayne brown would take that too lightly if that was the case so i don't think that's a feasible destination sadly from dookie lukey unless they like give him the left tackle (laughs) contract right away you know that would be the only way if they agreed on the trade and then gave him the tack the contract that he wanted right off the rip when I read the next person's name and then you add like a follow-up serious comment on the thing, the name is the Dookie fucking Lukey. Dookie Lukey. <laughs> I'm like, from Dookie Lukey. And you're like, well, actually, blah, blah. it's like, that is interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, from Dookie Lukey. This is, we've answered this probably a thousand times. I'm going to take this one. Do Stay it. off it. Should the Patriots draft a quarterback, trade for a proven quarterback like Deshaun Watson, or maybe sign Dak Prescott in free agency? And should it. they do the same for all the other needs at the like receiver and offensive line as well? This last question is a bit off topic, but how do you get hired at such a wonderful company like BFF where you get to actually talk and do something you care about every day? I'll answer the first one. Patriots fans, you guys fucking won a ton of Super Bowls and you've had a ton of success. I know it's hard to admit. I know it's hard to come to grips with the fact that your team isn't that good anymore and you can't... Look at this guy. Uh, Trade for a proven quarterback like Watson, maybe sign Dak Prescott, and maybe they do all of that with the same positions? Just get better at every one? What do you guys think? Dude, th- this isn't a good situation. Bill Belichick is great. Easy Sorry, sorry, sorry. Dookie Luki, that's on me. Either way, I just feel like we've answered this question a ton. It's like yeah. Patriots fans, I know it's hard yeah. to come to the understanding that your team is going to be bad next year, and you're trying to do everything possible to make that not happen. Coming from a Raiders fan background, if you told Raiders fans, hey, you're a tank away from being really good again, dude, they'd take it in a heartbeat. They'd buy season tickets to that tanked season. You know, but with Patriots fans, it's like we should always be in the playoffs. We have to be in the playoffs. We have to win the SCs. It's like, dude, take a second, take a breather, stop trying to shoot the moon with a bad roster, tank, get yourself into a good position to get a quarterback next year. Because any of the options right now aren't taking you deep in the postseason. Yeah. If your goal is to win a wild card game and lose to a better football team in the divisional round, go get yourself a Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, or whatever, or trade up and get Mac Jones or something. If your goal is to actually be a Super Bowl contending team in the next two to three years, you got to sit this one, sit this season out. Let me touch on two things there. One, you said sign Dak Prescott. You guys are going to find out in what, March 9th, like a w- less than a week from now, that there's going to be like 20 guys get franchised. Like every year you see it, guy get franchised, all the top free agents end up off the market. So sadly, Dak Prescott's going to get franchised here soon. Can't just sign him, they'd have to trade for him. I don't think that's an avenue I would like to pursue if I am the New England Patriots. This offseason, I said, I think free agency, don't be sit out to a degree. Don't be players. You don't have to be players. That cash chase rolls over. You can use it next year. That's the year I'd probably start using my cash chase to see where I'm at after the season because you have too much old talent, too little young talent, too few guys contributing on rookie deals to even think about a Super Bowl. Sadly, Sam drafted well. I took out too much aggression on Dookie Lukey. Yeah, and I apologize. But I am up, I'm frustrated at the consistency we see with Patriots fans asking, how do we get good in 2021? You don't. 
Your team is not going to be objectively a Super Bowl contender in 2021. I'm sorry. Hey, he's just trying to figure out like we all are. As for how to get hired at PFF, we are currently hiring a data collector uh, or a part-time data collectors right now. Go apply. Definitely worth it. It's how you started at PFF. It's how I started at PFF. It's how George Shahuri started at PFF. Eric Eager started at PFF. Have you, I was going to say, have you told how the story about how you actually like got what? at PFF? Yeah. Well, I was doing a ton of unpaid internships and sleeping in my car. And one of those paid internships was getting paid X dollars a game to grade. Yeah. To, how, how did you like initially come across though? PFF? It was a tweet. Like some like PFF was tweeting, we're hiring for yeah. data collection. And I was in that That's mode of like, I'm going to get every job I possibly can yeah. to like stay afloat. And um, I applied to a part-time data collection position. They do three trials. You get like three trials of, yeah. uh, of um, charting games. If you get above like 99% accuracy, you get the, you get the gig. Yeah. I got the gig. I was charting. Player participation, advanced player participation, and special teams player participation. Yeah. And the deadlines on the West Coast, buddy, 4 a.m. to get done with like the, uh, 4 a.m. Monday. Yeah, they were to, brutal. They were brutal. So anyway, but it's a great way to get in. Like I got yeah. in through that, and That's then full time opportunities opened up. Steve started like that. Like everyone started like that. Yeah, so you, yeah. I was gonna say, what do you think the percentage of people that work at PFF full time are that like actually did data collection? Because I feel like it's very high. It's I'm one very of the few. I, I'm like I like off the top of my head, the only one I know that didn't do data collection yeah trash did I, it anthony trash yeah. did it ben Lindsay did it probably 75 70 i was gonna say 75 to 85 like a very high percentage of the people working full-time at pff at one point was waking up at 3 a.m to finish fucking data collection games. what you want to hear a good story that i actually haven't told i don't know if i've told anyone at pff kind of kept this under wraps but anyway for, okay for before you tell the story Go to pff.com slash jobs and apply for that position. It's a very good opportunity. That's how you start at PFF. They're very big on hiring from within. Obviously, other ways to do it is get really good at things that PFF does, working in Tableau, working in Excel, coding languages, Photoshop, all those things. Yeah. And so I, uh, what was I going to say? All right. So your story. The story. So starting at PFF, I, whatever, I was, I didn't want to do accounting. It was my second semester senior. I think I've told that part of the story about how I then saw that they're hiring, did the same thing, go through the trial. And what I haven't told was that I cheated on the trial by going and looking up elsewhere the actual snap counts for the guys and then checking it and making sure, going back through and make sure I got it right. Because it's an accuracy-based trial. And I went and found online elsewhere the actual snap counts for that game to make sure I had them right. Dude, you were telling me at Trivia the other night that you never cheated in college. Yeah. Did you cheat on that fucking thing? I wanted a job. <laughs> Renner, Mike Renner, we were doing Trivia. You said you never cheated in college. I... Cheated my ass off in college. It's too high stakes. No, it wasn't high out. stakes. The ch- college is a game. I know. It's, it's teaching resourcefulness. Yes. College is an absolute game. Online quizzes are a joke. You're literally asking students to find loopholes on how to get accurate tests. I mean, fuck. I never did like write an essay for me or stuff like that where like you're, you, I don't know the answers and I'm going to have someone else do it. But like I did everything I could to find the answers to things when given the opportunity. And that would include using two computers on a nine line quiz, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not advocating for this, but I did it. And I do think uh, I would put, I, I don't know. I'm not saying don't do it. Chank, Chank. This is from Chank 00, no, 0096836. I wanted to ask your opinion on this tight end class. As a Ravens fan, I bet you'd love to grab Kyle Pitts, wouldn't you? I'm going to keep reading. I'd love to grab another one, uh, a pair from with Mark Andrews. Lamar is the best when throwing to the middle of the field. And Andrews slash Hayden Hurst combo was deadly. I've heard all about Kyle Pitts and rightfully so. But what do you think about, there we go. Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan? Bang. Or should they just wait to take Tommy Tremble because that's just too perfect of a fit? I do like Tommy Tremble. I love the Tommy Tremble fit. He'd be. I'm so glad he wasn't like should we trade up for Kyle Pitts or like Hopey Falls. Yeah, 
I'd actually like Tommy Tremble there more than Brevin Jordan. Hot take. I think he'd be a better fit there. Nice. With what they ask, what they would ask their tight ends to do. Because Brevin Jordan doesn't have a great, I think he has, I don't think he has a good catch radius. Like he would be, his best usage is almost gadgety usage with like crossers, screens, flat routes, that sort of thing, where he's getting the ball in his hands. And they got guys to do that. They, they have that. They don't have an awesome dynamic blocker like Tommy Tremble who can you know, block in space like a monster. That would be that would go a long way in that offense. Who's and that big ass tight fast. end? Who's that big ass Nick Boyle? Right? Yeah. Don't they love? No, it's not Boyle. Uh, who is it? The uh, the guy who's like two ninety. Yeah, end. it's like three hundred. Yeah, oh, gosh, I thought it was Nick Boyle. Boyle. It's not Nick Boyle. Uh, Patrick Ricard. Patrick Ricard. That's so, right. Nick Boyle's th- also that's, big that, as fuck though. They got a different. That's a different skill set than Nick than Patrick Ricard for sure. Tommy Tremble, what he brings to the table, and he's also would be a fast fullback, like can add some speed to that offense as well. So that's that would be who I'd love if you're not in the Kyle Pitts market. Fryermuth, I think, is a better fit than Jordan and that you can do inline stuff and he has a big catch radius over the middle of the field, can actually, you know, have guys bounce off him uh post catch and actually add something in the intermediate sort of game. So that's kind of how I see those two fits. Nick Boyle is six four two seventy. Okay. They do like the Both big boys to compliment Mark Andrews for sure. Um, this is from fuck a stupid ass nickname like that. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts like on that? What are you, 12? You were laughing at freaking Dangler Langler or whatever. <laughs> what are you talking about on my 12? I didn't even laugh at that, that one. That looks like a 12 year old's handle. You're on, a 12 year old handle. On Xbox Live. That was probably. Don't want to bring up your video game addiction again. Okay. Don't want you jonesing over there. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the Raiders' games. current draft strategy? I also saw Twitter blowing up about this recently. The draft strategy, my to some of my thoughts, awful. It hasn't been good. Uh, I would say what strategy in re- response to that? Because, you know, they went like those high character guys that one year. And then they draft Damon Arnett, who was n- notably like noted for his low character moments shall we say i mean chris carter was saying you got to go back to school you're not ready for the nfl not you're mature not enough. mature enough yeah so like i i don't think they have a plan like they signed lamar disjoiner and played then him out of position play him opposition and they cut him two years like they, they signed like, tyrell oh, williams he gets hurt they, they cut him and now the lions him. pick him up they, they signed trent brown, trent brown. Him, now yeah. they're trying to shop him like what is the what is the vision here they they sold out to go eight and eight is what they did which is what we here always say don't fucking do. Don't blow your wad to go eight and eight. Don't do that. Like yeah. you have all these picks. Get as many young guys on the field as you can. Give them all the opportunities they can. See what works. And then go shoot your wad a couple years later. Because they've gotten then in on free agency lately. They've gotten yeah. really in. They, like, they Marcus Joyner, Trent they, Brown, Nick Witkowski, Malik Collins, Corey Littleton. They were but, a kid in a candy shop to go eight and eight. It's rough. Hard to see. We're all right. Seven. This I'm is from A. Lancer. It looks like the Lions are moving to a split safety defense and will likely have more of an attacking front seven than ever before. Can you talk which prospects are the best fits for that defense throughout the draft? Can I just say this? Bringing up the Lions here. Because attacking front seven. I am already over the kneecap jokes. Same. It's, I can't, I, I can already see it's week 14. Lions lose. That late? Someone saying, probably should have bit more kneecaps. A tweet. And if I they're still doing kneecap jokes in week 14, it's going to happen. Oh my jokes God. Jokes don't die. People have no sort of. You know who's going to tweet that? Eric Eager. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Eager loves a good, like, play a joke long. Oh. He plays jokes long. And I do too Sorry, sometimes. Eric. I definitely do that a lot. But, like, Eric will tweet it. Eric will tweet when the play, when the. Uh, 
let's put a bet. If Eric listens to the pod, when the Eric when when, when the Eric's when the Lions get eliminated from the playoffs officially, if they do, whatever, or say they lose in the play, lose in the playoffs, yeah. Eric makes a kneecap joke. I'll put fucking hundred bucks on it right now. I don't even want to take that bet. Yeah, fair. Because it's gonna happen. Fair, fair. No, yeah, so, but I, I got a hundred bucks on it. Yeah, they. I made one. I, I've made one, and now the time is done. I will not make another one. Yeah, I made one as well. Yeah. All right. Some fits though for the Lions defense. If split field safety is the type of defense you will be running, I think some of my favorite split field safeties in the draft class are Darius Washington, TCU, Richie Grant, UCF, Javon Holland, Oregon, your boy. Those are my favorite sort of skill sets for split field safeties. That would make sense to them, obviously, second round or later. Would not go after guys like Andre Sisco. Uh, I would not probably go after a guy like Paris Ford in the split field safety defense. Jamie Sherwood. Those those three that I mentioned, I think are good fits. I don't know. We'll see uh, exactly what. Like I said in the last pod, start throwing some capital at that position. If you want to, you know, take down the juggernaut that is Kirk Cousins in the NFC North. Um, moving now to Jenny Toolwards. I'm trying to see if that's a play on words. No, I think that's just your name. Okay. You guys promise to answer any question from a five-star Apple review, so here's mine. We I, we will, man. I promise. <laughs> Taking into consideration sample size, which players have had the biggest jumps and biggest drops in PFF grades going from college to the NFL? Ooh. Oh, guys. Shit, I thought there was more to that question for some reason. Uh, biggest jumps. Defensively, we've talked about this. Deion Jones. The dude had a 53.3 grade his last year. He was the last ranked player on PFF's draft board that year. 2,250 on the draft board. Comical in retrospect. That, that's the biggest jump I can recall on defense side of the ball. Offensively, it's, it's a little more rare. Like running backs, wide receivers, like they usually produce offensive linemen, at least grade out relatively well. And when they don't, a lot of those guys that don't, don't succeed. Willie Beavers comes to mind. We roasted that pick. That guy was not good at Western Michigan, I want to say. Just didn't grade out well. If you're not grading out well at Western Michigan, a little bit of a red flag. I think it was cut year two. So those guys, they have, a, I think there's maybe a little bit more. And the grades have shown a little bit more predictive power, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, not as much. Uh, but those, obviously, with the Deion Jones thing. So that's not a lot of guys that really didn't grade out well. I think Terry McLaurin is probably the biggest one. And he didn't really get featured in that offense. He had a 72.3 overall grade his last year. And now Josh Allen didn't have a great grade his last year. The year before that, though, he graded out fairly well. So he had a year of high-level play. So not a lot, though. Biggest drops. Biggest drops. Mason Rudolph. He graded out extremely well. But, man, what he was doing in that Oklahoma State offense was not what you do in the NFL. He was throwing just fucking go balls. And could throw a nice pretty go ball to James Washington, who had five yards separation. Couldn't do much else. Uh, back-to-back seasons over 90. Josh Jackson, the one that really still, to this day, the Packers cornerback, formerly Iowa, one year at Iowa, he had a 94.3 coverage grade his last year. I think that's, I think that's still the highest we've ever seen from a cornerback. Was a monster. Had the one-handed pick, ridiculous ball skills. Honestly, he's not even been that bad when he sees the field in the NFL. Had some penalty issues this past year. I'm still salty about this one because obviously as a Packers fan, loved him coming out. Not like... We, I think we had him, this is before I did full-time draft stuff. I think we had him like 10th on our board. It's not that high on him. But 
I thought, man, in a zone scheme, which is why I still think this might be his year. I'm going to say that every year. This might be his year. A zone scheme, I thought he could have done much, much better than what they played early on in his career with the Green Bay Packers. But he's probably been the one that really stands out. Other guys, Paul Dawson of TCU, we've talked about him before in the pod. Just not an athletic guy. Scooby Wright of Arizona dominated Arizona. Not athletic as well. So those are guys that come I think to some mind. of that, too, speaks to some of the coverage grade volatility mm-hmm. and, like, having success in coverage in college and can sometimes be rare to see, like, similar success because I do think it's a small sample size area of the game, yeah. how often you're targeted, how often you get your hand on the ball. You're, like, you're playing between, like, five and five and 20 legitimate attempts at making a play on the ball and, like, you're going to get positively graded when you do and, and not when you don't. And it's hard to kind of, like, maintain such small sample size grading. And also going back through these and look, looking to find these guys, it reminded me like the Deion Jones thing, how little we actually did on the draft in years past. Like now it's my full-time job. It's like all I do is the draft prospects. Back then it would be like I would start in April and like yeah. the Deion Jones thing. I remember going to the senior bowl. I'm like, fuck is Deion Jones? <laughs> like who is this guy? No, we've really turned but, it into like it starts in like fucking December. Yeah. We do a preseason draft guide now. Like yeah. we do a like legitimately, we co- we're going to come out with a 2022 draft guide for like August. Yeah. When we're looking at the top 50 players in the class, or at least like some of the projected top 50 players in the class, I think that's yeah. going to be, I mean, we've, we've definitely like turned around and, and have made it a priority because again, I'll go back to it. That's the biggest edge. If you want to find the biggest edge as a football team, it exists in the draft. Absolutely. That is where you could, you could, you could make great plays in free agency. There's it's obviously any part aspect of team building still has an edge and you still want to succeed in all of them. But the biggest variance of outcomes exists in the nfl draft there you go there's my pitch there's my sales pitch love that don't man. fire me is what i'm really love that uh jay underscore geyser aside from the obvious weapons you would love to pair with burrow chase smith waddle pitts who was a wide receiver the Bengals could look after look for to add after round one they desperately need a playmaker with some speed not john ross to stretch the defense with some yak ability we already know what boyd and higgins are on the offense especially in the 10 to 19 yard window with Burrow's accuracy. Personally, would love to see what some speed would do for Burrow in the offenses. Do you think they looked at a playmaker that excels in that window or looked at a pure deep threat? Can I have a guy first? Go. Rondell Moore, top Ooh. of the second round. If he falls out of the first, go get Rondell Moore. Rondell. True dog. Guy from, he went to high school in Kentucky. Everyone in Kentucky loves him. Yeah. He goes to Cincinnati, makes some Although plays. Although he's from New Albany, Indiana, yeah. right? Yeah. It's technically. He said he Tri-state had. area. He transferred. He transferred from that New Albany to Kentucky and was forced to well, sit out a year. Oh, really? Yeah. And he said the biggest reason he think he had success so early is that he would sit in the press box of the games and learn everything, learn the entire offense. And that's how he felt like he had like oh, nice. a very – because I was talking to him a ton about, dude, you got to Purdue and you were instantly like the best player in college football, like or one of the best. Mm-hmm. And he talks about like just the study of the game and stuff like that. But Rondell Moore – with T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, I, I mean, I, I could be keen. Tyler Boyd, to too. Tyler Boyd. I think that that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, I like Rondell Moore as well. I, I think if you are in the second round, there's going to be a lot of slot types in this class. Um, the sort of Kadarius Tonys, Elijah Moores, the 2-2 Atwells. There's going to be a lot of guys high on those. The KJ Hamler last year. There's a lot of guys like that where – I don't think you're going to win on the outside. I think Ron, the reason I like Ronda Morris is because I think you can still win on the outside. And so I would suggest to them, you know, if Ronda Moore is off the board, the other guys are off the board, go with some of those guys that can win from the outside because I think Tyler Boyd is your slot receiver there. So that would be 
like Terrace Marshall. That would be Diami Brown. The top of round two might be rich for Diami Brown. Maybe if he falls to the top of round three. Those are those guys later on in the draft. I like Trey Walker, who I had not realized until last week. Actually ended up declaring after he said he was going to transfer to Mississippi State. Couldn't transfer. Declare for the NFL draft. San Jose State guy. Been super productive there. Lines up at left wide receiver every play for them. And that's where he won. Tamori Terry talked about him. Florida State guy. He is an outside type of wide receiver with some speed. Josh Palmer for Tennessee, another guy. Outside wide receiver with some speed. Cooked Patrick Sertan better than anyone else cooked him up last year on a go ball in that game. So those would be my three guys that I'd like if you're looking a little later on in the draft. Talk to Sertan about some of the best receivers he faced. He mentioned Josh Palmer. He also mentioned Trayvon Grimes, who I think beat him on a uh, one a couple of routes in, in that game as well. Um, now jumping to, oh, for Trey Walker. I'm getting him on the pod. I'm talking to him in a couple of weeks. Trey Walker is going to be on the podcast. All right, last question for the bonus mailbag. And then I think we can get through February next oh, we week. Can do one, we can do one more after this. One more? Wait, okay. one more, yeah. One more after this. I will say this. I think we can get through February next week. Let's do it. Let's get through February next week yeah. with a bonus pod. We're going to say it right now. We're going to do a bonus pod next week and a traditional Thursday, and we're going to get through February. Be That'll be huge. That'll be huge. All right. This is from Kurt Meisberger. Any of the Bearcat prospects, Hudson, Wiggins, Derek Forrest, Ponder, Elijah Ponder, stick out as guys you like? Also, do any of them fit and make sense as a Bengal? Appreciate it. So this is a Cincinnati guy. Our resident Bearcat beat reporter here. I love James Hudson. He is the dude. He is the best prospect they've got. He's I the wish, best prospect they got and the one that makes the most sense for the Bengals. And the one that makes the most sense for the Bengals. And also, I, I do also like James Wiggins. I think the stiffness is a concern, but like explosiveness and like him coming downhill i think you can get you can on day three there's a lot to like about james wiggins especially as a special teams player um derek forrest had a ton of success at cincinnati i think the best player though didn't declare my sanders my sanders coming out next year i think he's gonna be pretty damn good he's got some length he's got some athletic ability that's one of the better like looks to part prospects for cincinnati that they've had in a long time and that like he is legitimately looks like an nfl caliber edge rusher uh, i'm excited to see him come out but james james hudson's the dude and i think he does make sense a ton of sense what about sauce gardner what are your guys thoughts on him because he's a stud he also graded really really well have you watched a ton of Ahmad gardner i have not sadly we have to watch more Ahmad he's gardner. skinny is it but he's, he's going back to school right back school. yeah he, no he can't declare i'm just saying he's, like he's been awesome as a true freshman and a true sophomore they've been he's they've just, done a he's really dead. good job recruiting defensive backs because like, you, have, you have james wiggins sauce gardner Derek forrest and i think there's a handful of other guys too there that are like balling out i i i think that they're doing a good job a rock something is it rock could be is there a rock something there might not Secondary. be a rock something no but they have a lot What's of really good freshman? defensive backs arquan there. that's it yeah yeah arquan yeah i think What's that's last i don't know Oh, yeah, Arquan Bush. I think that's right. But Quinn, they, you're, our, you're a Cincinnati guy here. Luke Fickle, the fact that he's still staying in Cincinnati, Marcus Arquan Freeman, Bush. the defensive coordinator, who was a big recruiter for them, obviously went to Notre Dame. But Luke Fickle staying put in Cincinnati is yeah. massive for that program. It really is. And I think they're going to continue to be really good. One more take about that. Last year, top of round three, Bengals staring Josh Jones in the face, draft Logan Wilson. If you're top of round three and you're staring Hudson in the face, Take him. You gotta fucking take him. Wilson was all right. Wilson fucking. All right. He's not Josh Jones. He's all not. Right. No, they could. They need more help along the O line. But Logan yeah. Wilson's okay. I hope you know, Quinn. A lot of the podcast listeners. I'll just love. say Joe Burrow has two ACLs right now. If Josh Jones is on that team, stop, <laughs> stop, Quinn. I was gonna say the listeners love the that you can just pop in and, and drop your Bengals knowledge. It's pretty good. Um, all right, this is the last one we'll do for the day. We're getting through February next week. I fucking promise. I will be here all night if I have to. 
JV status. Mm. I won't, but you okay. can be here. I'll be here all night. JV status. Most analysts seem to think that the Packers need to replace Marquez Valdez-Scantling. However, to me, he is more impactful than Lazard. If you're the Packers, which of those guys would be your focus on upgrading on? And if it's Lazard, which prospect is the best fit for that role in Green Bay? I agree. I think it's Lazard. I think that's the guy you need to move, not to move on from, but that's the position because Lazard's going to get the bulk of the targets. Like MVS's targets, he is your deep threat. He is the kind of guy, the routes he's running, yeah, his hands are inconsistent and you'd love to sort of, you'd love to have a guy with better hands. Yeah, I'd love to have a guy with better ball skills. That could go a long way, but I think he can still produce in whatever that role is for him. It's the Lazard who I don't think can win on his own. I don't think he can win one-on-one. He can do some nice things when schemed open, but he's not dynamic after the catch and is not particularly dynamic as a route runner. Like That is the guy that you can make the biggest year-on-year increase at. And Rashad Bateman would be the dude that I keep going back to. That you get Rashad Bateman and Devontae Adams, you got fucking a receiving core right there. That's that's tough because I, you want a guy that gets off. Again, go back and watch your pack chain. Go back and watch the stupid NFC Championship game again. I know it hurts. You don't want to. He's just getting taken off his route too much because he can't get off the line of scrimmage against press. Alonzard couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. And when you get taken off your route, throws off timing of other routes. It's just not good for your offense. Obviously, it resulted in a pick a failed third down when he was targeted. I'm still salty. I'm still fucking salty. There you have it from our resident Packers fan. And that's going to do it for the bonus mailbag episode. Remember, if you want your questions answered in the mailbag, and I know I'm encouraging this when we're behind, but please do go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review and drop your question in there. We're going to be doing... Maybe just don't ask a question that's super time sensitive. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, if we get to it after frequency, I'm sorry. I like when people go like the high level, like, uh, you know, all named. What was the one that was like? Uh, oh, forgot. to hear Whitehead for every yeah, play to hear position. Whitehead for every position. Questions like that. Those ones will get me going. I also think some revisionist stuff too, where you're like, "What do you think? What's been the strategy for the Raiders the past few years?" Some of that yeah. stuff is helpful and evergreen. That keeps us on pace. But we're gonna try and get through every single question and be on time or up to date by, by frequency because a lot is gonna change by then. But please do rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps us out a ton. We've seen a ton of support of late. The podcast is top 20. Love you guys. Among American football podcasts in the United States. And we're going for the crown. We're coming after, pardon my take. I'm coming after Warren Sharp with the mustache. He has a right podcast. Here. I don't know oh, if he has a fucking the, podcast. The, I don't give a fuck. I'm coming for you. Come for the crown. Anyway, that's with just the mustache. Pardon, okay. pardon my take. We're going. Have you cut, when's the last time you like shaved that? It's been a while. Holy shit. <laughs> it's becoming a part of the personality, Mike. You hate it. You hate it. Just tell me you hate it. I. It's not going to help your dating life, so I'll say. That's fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Dave, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 drafts. <laughs>